0: Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. On today's episode, we're jumping right back into pie school with a discussion of pie art. Is it possible to make a pie that's too pretty to eat? Let's find out. We've also got some extra special celebratory treats in mind with both Mardi Gras and Valentine's Day this week. We'll review our butterscotch curry pie as well. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, have you heard about these stampedes they're having in France over the Nutella sales? No. So uh, there was a supermarket in Paris that discounted Nutella. Just it was like a really good sale. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And there were people like Black Friday Behavior getting these these Nutella jars. And the reason I bring this up is because my son is an incredible Nutella fan. Yes. And I recently made these cookies for him that I thought would be really perfect for Valentine's, although I cannot condone this type of, of, of behavior in the retail <laughs> market. <laughs> so go and get yourself a jar of Nutella in a orderly fashion and then... <laughs> I'm really excited about this recipe because it uh, is a British cookie recipe, and I haven't done a lot of British cookie recipes or a biscuit. Uh, I've just done American recipes and and modified them. So uh, this came from Red Magazine, which I think I've talked about in the past. Oh, yes. And it used self-raising flour, Mm -hmm. which is a really big thing here and a bit of a time saver. And it was a small recipe, so it only made twelve cookies total, mm-hmm. and it, that kind of thrills me sometimes to just have like one dozen cookies and yes, and be done with it. So um, then it was it was butter and egg, and then what you do is you you make the dough with that has chocolate chips, and I use milk chocolate chips that a, my friend loyal listener Carolyn had sent me. And uh, then you put a teaspoonful of Nutella in the middle, and then kind of roll it up into a ball. So when it bakes, you have not only the gooey chocolate chip kind of studying the cookie, but then you have this molten core of Nutella on the inside. Wow! So those are a really nice Valentine's cookie for your sweeties who might like chocolate or chocolate and Nutella. And they were a huge hit. My uh, my my son and daughter were both really really happy and my cookie jar was stocked once again (laughs) oh those do sound good I like anything with a molten core those words just really sound good to me (laughs) Agree. The molten chocolate cake has never gone out of style as far as I'm concerned. Oh, indeed not. Um, The cookie that I am making for both Mardi Gras and Valentine's Day. So for those of you who don't know, Mardi Gras this year is on February 13th and Valentine's Day, of course, is on the 14th. So I decided to kill two birds with one stone and Back from episode 61, our London Fog Earl Grey shortbread. I really love that recipe. I have made it multiple times since then. I've also made a couple of other shortbread recipes just because I thought, well, maybe, you know, shortbread is just amazingly wonderful and good, and I just hadn't experienced it. But I've gone back to that. Earl Grey recipe. I like their proportions of butter and flour and sugar. So I have adapted it a little bit, because as we mentioned on episode 61, that particular recipe that uses Earl Grey tea is a sophisticated flavor and might not be many kids' favorites. So for Mardi Gras and Valentine's Day, I did a couple of things. I did one recipe with Meyer lemons. So, those are in the market right now. And I zested a Meyer lemon and I added two tablespoons of juice from the Meyer lemon. So, that was for a lemon shortbread. And I used my Fleur de Lis cookie cutter. And so, those are my Mardi Gras cookies. Oh, hang on. Cookie cutter update. Does this mean you have found your cookie cutters? They were missing (gasps) in episode 61. Yay, yay! That's right. That's right. Oh, yes. I forgot. People might just be on the edge of their seats (laughs) wondering. About my cookie cutters. Yes, yes, I did find those. I had tucked them away in my garage. A a new phrase I'm going to say to myself, instead of beating myself up when I lose things, is I'm going to tell myself, wow, I've put those in a really safe place. Because um, as it turned out, that is what I had done. We had kind of done some reorganizing in the garage, and I had tucked them away in there. So I did find them. Yes. Uh, So I had my beautiful fleur-de-lis, and they were so pretty in the shortbread. And I had also ordered some purple green and gold, sparkling sugar. And so um, those just turned out so pretty and so good. And I will post pictures of those. Um, Huge hit. We had some people over. My husband loved them. The kids loved them. Everyone thought that adding that lemon was a really great treat. Well, that reminds me, too, of you awarded your blue ribbon of first season to the lemon drizzle cake. You have been really on this citrus bandwagon that's for true. a while. That's, that's kind of combining these two that you've really recently loved so much, which mm-hmm. is the shortbread and the lemon. That sounds fabulous. Yeah, that's good that you noticed that. I, I do love a lemon in a pastry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, which, by the way, let's make a note to ourselves. We need to do a lemon bars on an episode. I think citrus month is calling our name at some I point. I think are right. I know, speaking okay. the same thing. <laughs> (laughs) Okay, well, that is exciting. Something to look forward to. Well, can you answer me a question, though, about Mardi Gras, not lemons? Uh, Why are the (laughs) colors what they are? Is there any history Mm. to those purple and green? I'm sure there is, but I sure don't know it. I I know traditionally purple is a color of royalty. And certainly, um, you know, for Mardi Gras, you have parades and you have um, kings and queens of the various different parade crews. So maybe there's some connection there, but... Mm. You got me on that one. Okay. For Valentine's Day, I took the shortbread recipe and, again, made a modification. So I took the tea leaves out, and I um, made the recipe without the tea leaves. So just a plain vanilla shortbread is what I would call that particular one. And I cut the recipe in half, and then in the other half, I threw in a couple of tablespoons of cocoa powder. And so then I had a chocolate shortbread, and I cut those out in hearts, and then I cut the hearts in half and I married the plain shortbread to the chocolate shortbread. So it was a heart that was half black and half white. Oh, Andrea, that sounds beautiful. I was kind of impressed with myself. Yes, it was quite lovely. I've said it before on this show and I will stand by my claim that 2018 is going to be your year of the shortbread. I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I think the writing is on the wall here. Totally right. Yeah. So that is um, what I did for Mardi Gras and Valentine's Day. Adapted those shortbread recipes for the various holidays with my cookie cutters. And that was a lot of fun. I wanted to give a shout out to our listeners who look like they're celebrating Mardi Gras by making some king cakes. So listener Lauren said that this is her year and she is going to do it. And she was asking for recommendations and recipes and listener Lydia replied with the Looked like a Betty Crocker quick and easy Mardi Gras uh, king cake recipe. That's right. So I am hoping that Lauren follows through and makes that, and we get to see some pictures of that because that looked really fun. Yeah, would love to see that, and Lydia too if she's making that easy one again. I I would yeah. love to see it. Yeah. When I think king cake, I do not think easy. And in fact, I am going to a official king cake baking workshop. It's a galette de roi, uh, which is, you know, French cake uh, or king cake translated in the French. And so that's going to be a fancy king cake. By the time I uh, that's going to be during my trip to New Orleans. So by the time I get back home and we record again, Mardi Gras will be passed. But I will give you guys an update on that because it looks to be really fun. And I'm, I'm super excited about making a traditional 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 um, French king cake. That is really exciting. And you know, you're the one who told me last Mardi Gras season that when you get the, the little doll, that then you have to make the king cake again. Yes. Right. When you get the baby, you bring the next king cake. Purchase or make. It's up to you much easier than a galette de bois I also went ahead and baked King Arthur Flour's 2018 recipe of the year and you might remember we mentioned this back in episode 61 it is their banana bread with whole wheat flour and it's pretty much a traditional banana bread recipe it just replaces half of the all purpose flour with whole wheat flour it also said you could use white whole wheat flour if you prefer, I used regular whole wheat flour I halved the recipe and I put them into my new mini loaf pans that I am loving so much. Adorable. I found these at Goodwill. Each one is a third a pound. They were uh, 99 cents each. They were from Sur They still had the stickers on them. It had never been used. And they just make the cutest little, I think, perfect size of banana bread because you basically get like... Mm, six mini slices out of each one so it, it's I'm just loving these things so much I highly recommend the mini loaf pan I love those two. we love anything mini don't we we are just we yeah. do we are, we're suckers <laughs> for the mini version of things oh I'm, su- I'm suckers for it on the cuteness the looks and then I'm a total sucker for it on the idea that oh this means I will eat less mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually it means I just eat more but <laughs> still working on that one well, Andrea, speaking of delicious recipes, we kicked off our first week of pie school in last episode in episode 62 with a butterscotch pie with curry crust. This comes to us via uh, Bon Appetit magazine, but uh, also from a pastry chef at New York City's restaurant, The Dutch. Her name is Kiernan Baldwin. And this uh, this pie was something else. I wanted to talk first about some of the modifications I had to make for for ingredients. So, okay. The uh, curry crumb crust is a cookie crust made with vanilla wafers, Nilla wafers more um, commonly known as, sugar, salt, a teaspoon of fennel, which is a really interesting um, and intriguing flavor, uh, some butter, and then a teaspoon of madras curry powder. I was lucky lucky to find Nilla Wafers at a store I frequent much too often called the American Food Store Ah. and it's (laughs) well stocked with every kind of American junk food you can think of, including, in this case, Nilla wafers. So I bought a box for the equivalent of about 8 bucks. Oh, I'm sorry. um, Nope. Really enjoyed them. (laughs) However, for people who are baking along with me in the UK or in other uh, European countries, other countries worldwide that don't have a Nilla wafer, I did a little testing. And I believe you can substitute a a cookie called a Rich Tea Biscuit. It is sold here. It is very inexpensive in the UK. they're a little firmer than a Nilla wafer, but the taste is as close as I could find. They're less sweet as well, but they're really, really close. And in fact, they're one of my favorite things to just munch on. They're they're very good. So if you can't find a Nilla wafer, use a rich tea biscuit. And you grind it into crumbs in your food processor anyway. So you the do. fact that it's a little firmer, I don't think would make a difference as, as no. long as the taste is similar. So great substitution. Thank you. Uh, the other substitution I made in this was I used garam marsala. And I don't think that's as spicy as curry powder. Um, that's just what I happen to have, and um, I, I used I used that. So um, it's definitely in the curry in the curry family and in the Indian um, spice family. And then I talked last episode about my concerns about being able to find uh, powdered gelatin, which is just not as popular here. Indeed, I could not find it. I substituted something called leaf gelatin. This was such an interesting experiment. Have you used leaf gelatin before, Andrea? Have not used it and, in fact, have never heard of it until you mentioned it. All right, so it looks like a sheet of plastic, like a very thin sheet of plastic. And you soften it in cold water, and it turns kind of rubbery. And mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. melt it into whatever you are making. So I had to modify my recipe a bit uh, as far as of adding the the gelatin. But I think as far as firming up the the filling, I think it did its job. So anyone who is, is in the UK here, um, an envelope of unflavored powdered gelatin is seven grams. And so I used two sheets is one teaspoon. Sorry. So I used four and a half okay. sheets of the, of the leaf gelatin. Anyway, just a little, a little difference there. So you've got your curry crumb crust. You have a filling, which is a, um, a caramel. And Andrea, nothing went right for me on this caramel. <laughs> Oh no, what happened? Nothing, like the science in this, n- nothing worked. But yet I ab- was able to pull out a delicious and rewarding pie. So okay. at the end of the All day, right. like I, I salvaged it. But um, so as you are making your filling, which is whole milk and sugar, vanilla bean, cream, brown sugar, baking soda, egg yolks, um, molasses, cornstarch, butter. I mean, could we put some more fat in there? I'm not sure, but... um. <laughs> The caramel just for immediately formed, like, this solid layer on the bottom of my pan, and I was, like, having to chip it off. Oh, no. I <laughs> huh. And I did. I did. And I melted it back down, and it didn't burn. It didn't scorch. But I don't understand what happened there. Um, it's supposed to bubble up when you add the soda mm-hmm. and the cream. It didn't do that. So I said a few bad words. And <laughs> – yeah, because we both of us hate nothing more than wasting ingredients as well. That gets us frustrated. So, yeah. Yes. So I turned it off the heat, and I stepped back, and then I just – I took your counsel from when you were making um, the candy, and you just said, I'm mm-hmm. going to relax. Mm-hmm. And I did, and I put it back over a very, very low burner, and I melted it back down, and I went on, and okay. it was fine. Hmm. So that was fine. From there on out, I thought it tasted in incredible it was incredible Mm -hmm. these are flavors Mm -hmm. I would never think to put together but it was um, it was incredible Um, my daughter and my husband loved it Uh, it was just so unique and different it was very the Mm -hmm. filling was very silky it was very smooth and the part of that's from that gelatin that you're getting Mm -hmm. so if I had to make another change though I don't think this was a well-written recipe, the order of things, and I would change that a Mm -hmm. little bit. That may have helped me with Mm -hmm. my caramel, but you really want to read this one through and do Mm -hmm. as many steps as you can ahead of time, like be your own sous chef. We talk about that a lot. Have things prepared, ready to go, and then maybe look at the timing and how that works for you. It was a complicated one. Yes. Yes. I think that is really good advice. Yeah, it is a complicated one. I I had a similar thoughts when I was reviewing this recipe. I thought, oh, this clearly comes from a pastry chef. Yeah. This, you know, there for example, there's nothing in there about what type of pan to use. You know, which is something usually when you're making a recipe for home cooks, they will tell you that sort of thing. So you know, that was one of my tips. As I thought, oh, when you're you're basically making a caramel here, that means you want a pan with a really heavy bottom, and the fact that it's going to bubble up when you add the cream and you add the baking soda, you want to make sure you have really high sides so it doesn't end up boiling over. So I had that same thought, Steph, and I think that's a good point. I did some similar, I I wouldn't call them modifications. It was more, well, it is a modification. It just was one of those things of uh, what I had available in my pantry. So I did use the fennel seeds in the crust. Um, I also had fennel powder, and I thought about using it, but I remembered um, back on our Bitchchito episode. Um, you know, we we talked about how if you had the the seeds uh, versus the, you know, crushing them up, you got a lot more flavor. And so I thought, well, um this recipe you toast the seeds first and then you do finely chop them. I wouldn't say I finely chopped them. I just sort of did a quick rough chop on them. So I actually had little pieces of seeds in the crust that you could see, but I felt like that way it wasn't too fennel or too licorice was my thought there. I think also finely chopping fennel seeds is like an exercise in futility. I mean, they're tiny. Yeah. They're shooting everywhere. <laughs> and they jump. Yes. They're like little fleas. I used my, um, my mortar and my pestle. <laughs> that worked because oh, you like there you bash go. them up, but they're not broken. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. For the sugar in the crust, their recipe specifies raw sugar or granulated sugar. I used my I'm not sure how to say this. Demerara sugar? Yeah, I think that's it exactly. Um, Okay, Mm -hmm. it's that I I think of that as raw sugar. It's a a nice, big granules. And again, it's all going in the food processor. So I feel like it it chopped it up smaller. And then on the curry powder, uh, the specified kind of curry powder was madras curry powder. And I love curry. I cook a lot of Indian foods. I went to my pantry. I had about five different kinds of curry, and none of them were labeled madras. But one was labeled very helpfully in my own handwriting, curry. So that's the one I used, (laughs) which means I have no idea what it was. Um, But it turns out that it was a spicy one. And so I absolutely love this. I don't think I would have knowingly used it, um, but... Uh, My husband, who I've mentioned before, loves spicy foods, was in heaven when he tasted this because he was like, oh, my gosh, it's a spicy pie. You know, it's just like all his dreams coming true at once on my filling I did not make any modifications I did read the recipe ahead of time I read it several times ahead of time because like you mentioned it's not real intuitive and it's not very detailed and so um, and, and it's not numbered it's not like step one step two so it's a little bit hard to you know keep track mm-hmm, um, right. I got everything ready ahead of time as well um, because there are things happening so quickly you don't want to be you know turning and mixing or measuring. You want to just be able to put the next thing in. Yes. A couple of things I ran into. So the first step is to mix the gelatin. And of course, I had no problem finding the package of the Noxon flavored gelatin and a little bit of milk in a small bowl. It said, let stand until it softened five to 10 minutes. Well, I did that first and it ended up being much more than five to ten minutes by the time I got to where I needed it. So it was not softened. It was a rock. exactly. So I had to chip it out. So similar to yours. But once I added it in, you know, the heat just melted it right away. So I started off melting the sugar. I had the, I use a vanilla bean paste instead of scraping the seeds in just to make it a little bit easier on myself. This made me very nervous. You know, cooking sugar over medium heat to melt it is one of those situations where I feel like if you blink, it can be burned. And so I kept it. um, I just stayed right on top of it. I was, you know, stirring and watching it constantly. And then when I added the cream, it did bubble vigorously. So as the recipe said, And then I added the brown sugar, the rest of the milk, let that dissolve about two minutes. Again, I just was watching it very carefully. I was stirring very carefully. When I added the baking soda, it said whisk until bubbles aside. I had no bubbles. So that... I had no bubbles either. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That didn't didn't happen for me. More whisking. The next big step... (laughs) Um, And this part really reminded me in previous episodes where we've talked about tempering our eggs. Whenever you're adding eggs into a warm mixture, you want to temper them. So, you know, I whisked together my egg yolks, the cornstarch, the brown sugar. It says in a medium bowl. I just did it in one of my big, like, four-cup Pyrex measuring so I didn't have to get another bowl dirty. (laughs) And Yeah, yeah. You know, I I tempered a little bit. Uh, I put that egg mixture in there first and kind of went back and forth and kept it on low. It thickened right up. I chipped that gelatin mixture into there and the molasses and the salt. This time, I didn't use that molasses I talked about before, that dark one. I, I went back to using my regular molasses that I've always used, which is the Wholesome brand. OK. I did go ahead and press it through a sieve before I put it into the large bowl and chilled it, just because, again, eggs and heat. I thought if there's any curdling. But it went right through the sieve, and I, I did not see any evidence of curdling. So I, I, that just made me feel a little bit safer. Yeah. I did want to point out on this final step because I found it a little bit confusing. So it says, transfer the filling to a large bowl and chill, stirring occasionally until slightly cooled and thickened, about an hour. Stirring and cooling the pudding before chilling in the crust will give it a luscious, creamy texture. It, It just was odd to me sort of how that's phrased. Basically, you have this bowl sitting in your refrigerator and you're pulling it out of the fridge every, I don't know, I think I did it twice in the hour so every 20 minutes or so and giving it a little bit of a stir because you're getting kind of that film on top and I think I think that's the part of the purpose too there is to not let that film form really well yes and also the purpose is when you're stirring it then you can lick the spoon every time so and you <laughs> yes. will because the filling is to die for it and warm pudding is there anything better I mean oh my yeah. gosh the filling is amazing. I made this pie to give away. So of course, I was making it in a regular 9-inch pie pan to deliver to a group of people who have purchased a pie a month as an auction item for a group I'm involved with. Since I knew my husband wanted to try this, I also made some little mini pies with the leftovers, which there were enough of a crust leftover for me to make two mini pies. And there was enough filling left over for me to make two many pies and let my husband just eat the rest of the filling that was in the bowl. Oh, lucky man. He <laughs> was so happy. I mean, he just like, he ate that. And then he was like, do you have to give that pie away? Do you have to give it away? Are you yeah. sure? And I was like, yes, but you can have this little one. I put a little bit of whipped cream on top. I topped it with the roasted cashews. I wanted to throw in some toasted coconut just because I thought that would be pretty, but I decided not to. Um, When we ate our little minis, he said to me, "Uh, Andrea, I am saying this without hyperbole. This is the best dessert you have ever made for me. Yeah. Yeah. That is incredible. I, I agree. It was so worth it in the end when everything came together. And this is another, I mean, I feel like we're doing this. Uh, more frequently we had our classic cream puffs uh, last month and it was kind of a two-parter like we have the good pastry cream I feel like I would just make this butterscotch pudding and just have it too yes um not Mm -hmm. necessarily even in the crust because it was so so very good yes Oh, it was so good. I agree with that. I think end of the day, you are just really paying attention. You are making pie on this day when you yes. decide to do the butterscotch pie and yep. helping yourself as much as possible. Make that crust the day ahead and wrap it up tightly and have it ready for you. Make sure you've got everything ready to go measured. If the step two doesn't seem like your step two, then put it down at step six or you know whatever makes sense to you. Right. And I think that will add it to the success. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. I really loved it. I did too. That is our review of our butterscotch pie. Uh, Let's talk about what's up next. Stefan, you picked this particular one. It's the pork, apple, and cider pie. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? I know it's it's an unusual entry perhaps for pie month, but we thought with me being here in the UK and pie being such a huge deal, you know, you can't go to any pub without being offered a, a meat pie. And there's actually just restaurants that only serve a meat pie. Um, you know, a very classic British meat pie would be your steak and ale. There's a curry, speaking of curry, a curry chicken called a coronation chicken that my daughter mm. loves. Um, you know, there's lamb, there's pork, and this one seemed like a really fun one to do for Month. It is a single crust. It is a cider crust, Andrea, and by that it means hard cider. So alcoholic cider. There's cider in the crust and then in the pork, basically stew. You're making a savory stew with pork stew meat and some vegetables, your cider, and then some baking apples as well this comes from a delightful cookbook by paul hollywood so many people know him from the great british bake-off one of the judges and it's called paul hollywood's pies and puds i really recommend it (laughs) i love that title i do too i just love saying pies and puds. yeah it's called the pork apple and cider pie i'm really excited to try it i love to order pie when i'm out and i'm excited to to make it so just a few notes on the ingredients um which should all be very readily available in the U.S., but they may be called something else. So in the pastry, it calls for dry cider. And what that means is it means an alcoholic cider that's not sweet. And this is kind of a taste preference, but if you were going to not use an alcoholic cider, I really would be careful because I think just a straight apple juice or certainly like a sparkling apple juice cider Mm -hmm. um, would be Mm -hmm. too sweet here. So... If you don't wanna use alcohol, I might just go with like a chicken broth or a beef broth instead of trying to just do like an apple juice. The next one is pork shoulder. That's also known as like a Boston butt or a pork butt. And that's very readily available in in the States also. So everyone should be able to find things in both sides of the pond here and very exciting. Uh, The last thing is that I find that British recipes in general use less salt than American recipes. Take that for what you will, but um, I like to always salt my meat before I brown it, Mm -hmm. and that's not specifically called for here. I would, based on experience with British recipes, I would encourage you to do so. Okay, good. that's that's my last tip there, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited. All right, thanks for that heads up, and listeners, remember we will have a link to these recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Pinterest and Facebook page, Preheated. Andrea, we've been talking a lot about how to make the perfect pie this month. And one thing we know for sure is that the right equipment can make all the difference. It's why we spend so much time in the gadget garage. Totally. But if you're just starting out, you might feel overwhelmed with all of the supplies you need to gather. That's why the Pie Provisions Pie Baking Starter Kit is so genius. It contains all of the gadgets you need for successful pies, all gathered together in one cute and clever kit. That's right. It's got a pastry blender, a pastry cutter, micro zester, pie server, bench scraper, recipe card, and you can add a hand-crafted cherry wood tapered rolling pin from Vermont Rolling Pins. We both love our tapered rolling pins. We do. We do. And you know, Andrea, this kit would also make a perfect gift for someone special in your life who made the 2018 baking resolution to bake more pie. I want to meet that person. It sure would make a great (laughs) gift. And for a limited time, Pie Provisions is offering preheated listeners a 25% discount off of orders on their website. That's www.pieprovisions.com P-I-E-P-R-O-V-I-S-I-O-N-S dot com. When you use the promo code PHPI. Pie Provisions is also giving one lucky listener an amazing gift basket filled with special goodies. So check out our preheated Facebook group and comment on the Pie Provisions post for a chance to win. Stefan, there was an article in the Seattle Times around the first of the year that got sent to me many times, and I think it might have popped up in our Facebook group as well. It was a lady from Seattle named Lauren Ko, who started making the most beautiful pies I've ever seen. And they just have these intricate, intricate cutouts on their crust. They have leaves that look like they are works of art. I mean, when you look at pictures of her pie and her Instagram feed, you just are completely blown away. Andrea, I am laughing once again because our worlds are colliding. Not only was this in the (laughs) Seattle Times, it was in the Waitrose Weekend on January 11th, and I'm staring at it right now. Oh, my gosh. Wait, no wonder Waitrose is our favorite British uh, grocery store. They're even reporting on Seattle Trends. Well, I love that. And I'm looking at some of these. And, you know, um, Conversation Hearts, we're talking about Valentine's oh, yeah. Day, the very popular mm-hmm. Conversation Hearts. She has a pie that is those tiny hearts with the word love stamped on them. And they're just in concentric circles around this pie. I mean, I have... I, it is they are gorgeous. You don't oh know gosh. whether to call them a work of art or a piece of pie. I guess I guess both. They're incredible. I think both. And you know, I have conflicting feelings when I see these type, type of articles. My first feeling is just pure pleasure and joy. I love looking at them. I think they're beautiful. I, you know, get super excited that people are doing these fun things with pie. My second feeling, which follows closely on the heels of that is I will never be able to make a pie this pretty. Oh. <laughs> And you know what? I I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. that I'm I'm more in the humble pie category. Aww. And in, in fact, my daughter said to me the other day, "Mom, how do you know if someone?" Brings A pie to an event if they made it or if it came from a grocery store or a bakery. And wow. I said, yeah, I said, well, you know, usually the way I can tell is the ones that are purchased look perfect. You yeah. know, they they use machinery. They use cutouts. They everything is exactly weighed and measured and they are Beautiful and they look perfect, whereas a homemade pie has some, you know, crumbles, some jagged edges, perhaps a tear or two, as we mentioned in our last episode. Yep. Um, and and I just think that is more my style. I'm a humble pie person as well. In fact, um, I really can't deviate much beyond the very classic crimping technique, which is you put your thumb and your forefinger together, and then you put your other forefinger in between. That's like the extent of my <laughs> of my crimping magic. So I'm much more of a rustic pie gal. And, and Stefan, I even have trouble with that particular crimping method, oh, no. which <laughs> I think is, you know, crimping 101. So I mean, pat yourself on the back there. So I did want to talk about what uh, things are actually doable that can make your pies prettier. So Again, we do not want pie to be a visit to the intimidation station. We want you to feel like you can make a pie and it can come out of your kitchen and people will ooh and ah when they see it. One thing that I do, which is super easy, and this is what I grew up eating and my mom did it, and that is to take the tines of your fork and push them into the crust all along the edge. Right. I've added a new little twist to this that I think elevates it a little bit. So you go all the way around the pie with the tines facing in toward the center. Um, So you basically just have straight lines all around the edge of your pie. And then you go around the edge one more time, but this time you turn your fork about 45 degrees. And so you you double press and you get basically kind of a cross-hatched pattern that's really pretty when it bakes up. Yeah, and I mean that's not even that's that's gotta take what? Like a minute max? That's so fast total. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It's super easy. Another thing that I do is I think it kind of ends up looking like a rope. It's uh, I will take a spoon and turn the spoon upside down. Okay. And so I will take the edge of the spoon, kind of that circular piece, and press into the pie all the way around the edge. And again, then I'll go around it twice. And this time I'll press that edge of the spoon just about, you know, an eighth of an inch away from my first press. So there's sort of a double circular half moon pressed twice all the way around the edge of the pie. and that can be really pretty. sounds pretty yes. Now another fancy thing um, that I have done before I actually saw this on a video and the individual who uh, did this trick on the video used pearls. I have used Mardi Gras beads (laughs) for this and that is you take any sort of any sort of chain you have with large beads on it and you press that into your edge. Oh well my my pie weights would work. Absolutely, your pie weights yeah, would work. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, that's a great. Oh, you know what? Maybe it wasn't pearls. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe it was <laughs> pie weights. <laughs> you're using like the purple beads from the cheapy store, and the... <laughs> I am, I am, because I remember thinking, "Gosh, I would just not. I don't think I'd really want to risk pressing pearls into a pie crust." Not okay, real that that makes pearls. Me I feel mean, better. How fancy are you if you're like getting out the family jewels? <laughs> pie time. <laughs> okay pie weights pie weights try that okay okay last thing I wanted to suggest is that you try out some lattice work and I do think a lattice pie on a lattice top on a pie is just so beautiful I especially love it with fruit pies where you can see just that you know your dark cherries or your luscious blueberries or marion berries poking through it's so pretty There are numerous videos on YouTube that will show you how to make a lattice top. I'll post a link to a couple of those that I particularly like. I learn best on things like that by watching a video, not by reading instructions. The one thing that I've become really fond of is what I call the fat lattice most of those videos will suggest you do an odd number of strips. And so, for example, you would have seven strips laid lengthwise and then seven strips laid crosswise. And you would, you know, weave those together to make that lattice top. When I do a fat lattice, I might only have three strips laying each way. So, this, the strip is just a lot bigger. And again, I think that's more my style. It's just more humble. I don't have to worry as much about keeping those strips straight and having seven things that are the same. Uh, um, you know equivalent uh size and it's just easier and faster and i think it ends up really pretty yeah and and i think too that um one one thing i've seen recently is you would press down the crusts very simply along the pie plate and then take another strip of pastry and either braid it or put it you know in 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 some other kind of of twist and then put mm-hmm. that around the the lip of the, the pan yes that's a great idea you're not having to like do it in place on the pan you're kind of making two elements and then sticking them together so that's yes. another way to, to think yeah, about it that yeah. is a great idea listeners we would love to know any of your tips that you use to make your pies into beautiful works of art or uh, what you do to make your pies look humble and homemade so share some pictures let us know what your special tips and tricks are Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. We hope you enjoyed this week's deep dive into pie art, and if not, never fear. Next week, we're returning back to our humbler roots with a shoe fly pie that falls into one of our favorite categories, a desperation pie. We'll also review our pork, apple, and cider pie and see if this savory dish satisfied palates on both sides of the Atlantic. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, PreheatedPodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and newly on Twitter and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google or Apple Podcasts. Also look for us on Spotify. We are a new entry into their podcast category. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.